0: Hi, I'm Heather Mulder. And I'm Janice Scrino and you're listening to Dementia Untangled, where we explore the topic of dementia through conversations with physicians, experts,
1: and community leaders. Our discussions focus on innovative ideas, practical strategies, and proven methods to guide caregivers along a supportive path. Hello,
0: and welcome to Dementia Untangled. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of our podcast.
1: Today, our conversation will be with Dr. Corinne Self, who is a geriatrician, and Melissa Kuhn, who is a nurse practitioner with a focus in palliative care in dementia. And they are both with an organization called Elder Health. And we're going to be talking about how to talk two kids about dementia. This is such an important subject because we want to, if we have children who um, have a family member or someone who's close to them with dementia, it becomes this delicate balancing act of how much do I share with them? And then also taking into consideration kind of your perception and your expectations of the situation. And so it can be hard to know even where to begin that conversation with a little one.
0: It's so true, Heather, and, you know, dementia, but it impacts the whole family. And recently I heard a story of a children's book author sharing about the book he had written about his own grandma who had dementia, and he was sharing about how it helped kids to open up about what they were experiencing.
1: I'm so excited to learn more strategies about how to have these conversations in an effective way. Welcome, Corinne and Melissa. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much
3: for having us.
1: Well, we like to start our podcast with a consistent question each time. And so I'm curious to hear from both of you. Could you tell us a little bit more about your journey and and what led you to connect with the dementia community?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, So for me, when I was a teenager, my favorite aunt got diagnosed uh, with Alzheimer's dementia. And then a few years later, her twin sister also got diagnosed with dementia. So I saw her husband's, um, both of them army men, both of them absolutely insistent on keeping them at home, struggle, just struggle with that process to try to keep them home with a very limited support system in place on kind of how to deal and troubleshoot with their behaviors and their issues
2: and for me it started my senior year in high school my grandmother was diagnosed with dementia and my grandfather was you know, I was the daughter so that was my job to help take care of her and and it worked out okay throughout the, my senior year in high school but then I was accepted to uh, nursing school and I was gonna have to leave and the whole world felt like it fell apart and because there was nobody there to keep my grandmother at home or help. Um, so long story short she ended up in a nursing home and, and within months passed away and it, it broke my heart and, and his too at the time and but it, it was a driving force to change the way we take care of uh, people with dementia so from that part I, that was where I was going to take my career and that and it, and it's bloomed from there um, and there's a whole long story that goes in between that but don't have time for that but how corinne and i met and came to this part is really important
3: yeah so i'll tell that story so melissa and i and especially in terms of this topic how to talk to kids about dementia uh, we both have little kids um they were both going to um, the same school and melissa was uh in charge of organizing the human body day and i really wanted to be melissa's friend so (laughs) i approached her and I said hey how can i help with human body day and she said you can do whatever you want, whatever exhibit you want. Yes. I would love to have your help. And I thought, well, what can I talk about? What can I do as a doctor in geriatrics? So we decided that, um, we would teach the kids about kind of like a sensitivity training about what it might be like for people as they grow old. So we got glasses, we fogged them up with glue, we got gloves and we had the kids try to build Legos mm-hmm. with cataracts and arthritis and neuropathy. And then we tied into that starting a conversation about what dementia is and how it usually affects older adults. And the out um, kind of outpouring of support from parents was unbelievable because so many, dementia affects so many families. So the parents knowing that there was an open door Um, kind of for their kids to learn about that at school and then to come back and talk with their parents at home, um, I think was really refreshing for the parents and really enlightening for us because you, you kind of tend to underestimate kids and underestimate the older adults, but the kids blew us away with just kind of how intuitive they were and the questions they asked and the sharing they did about their own family members. And it was a very cool experience. And
2: my, that was about four years ago at that time, my my middleest um, child was, he's 10 now, but at that time he was about six or seven. And he went through the whole of glasses and gloves. And to this day, he, he remembers and can relate that to when he sees older people who have trouble doing things because he knows, he remembers how difficult it was to button his shirt. He tells me that all the time. It, when I'm old, I'm not going to wear shirts with buttons because you can't button them. So it, we saw, I saw how impactful it was for him to remember it years later. And from that day, we, we, five years later, we started elder health. I mean, literally from that, from that moment, which is home-based primary care for people struggling with cognitive issues. Mm -hmm.
3: So we're pretty excited to talk to you all today excited about this subject.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And I love that you kind of did it like a a sensitivity training with children that is still impacting them now five years later. I wonder before we talk about how to have the conversation with kids, I wonder if you could share with us, how do we know if we should talk to them about someone who has dementia and what they're experiencing?
3: So we kind of think it's going to be individualized for each family and each each child and each loved one. But I, we think that when it becomes apparent that the, the loved one is experiencing a problem, like when they've called the child, when they have been close with the child and then all of a sudden are calling the child by the parent's name, or when they're all of a sudden having kind of angry outbursts that they didn't have before, or when they're, there's talk about them moving to a care home, we think that's, or the kid. Either asks or actually seems distressed by what are these changes going on with my loved one. We think that's an appropriate time to bring up the conversation.
2: And I think all kids are very different. Every family is very different. And I have four children, and they're all very different. In how how I've even addressed this topic with each of them. My oldest child is eleven, and he has he has been around a lot of of people in my practice. Um, that have had dementia and he didn't need the explanation of what was wrong he he didn't he didn't care he identified with them as a person where they were at that time and he to this day has no idea that they you know even when i can explain to him there might be something wrong with their brain he didn't see that he saw them as people who like to sing who like to do art who like who likes to do puzzles and he just met them where they were um, having said that, you know, the, the child next to him is 10 and he needed this greater explanation of show me the picture of the brain and what it looks like. So very different conversations with, with my children across the ages.
0: That's such a great point. So you have to consider each child where they are. And then once you decide, yes, it's time for us to talk about this. How do you even start the conversation?
2: I think you have to, again, really know the child and where they're at. If, if there's a behavior that you've seen them demonstrating, then maybe start with that that question. But I think you have to give space to the child to ask you information. Is there anything you want to know? Um, that, that's how I would go into it with my children. And we were just
3: saying, kind of as parents, when we go to tackle a difficult conversation, a really nice way is to use a book, Um, whether it's um, a death in the family or somebody, a loved one coming down with a dementia or another illness. Um, And a book we really like is called The Weeds in Nana's Garden by Katherine Harrison. Um, And the book is really nice because it really follows along a metaphor of basically as the weeds or tangles overgrow in the grandmother's brain, the weeds overgrow in her garden as well because she's unable to garden as she used to because she doesn't remember that she should or how to do it or something along those lines
2: and with and again in different ages of children so with Bradley my 10 year old we I ended up finding the dementia diaries which is more of a an autobiography from the child's point of view the older children that are living with someone that has dementia and he could relate because that that meant very concrete ideas, very specific ways that that the child was impacted. And that that was how he understood it.
3: So what we wouldn't want to do is um, we don't really want to dumb things down for kids. Kids, we don't want to underestimate them. Kids are very, very smart. So we would recommend kind of actually naming it and saying, Mm -hmm. um, you know, your loved one does have have a disease of the brain It's called dementia. And then from there explaining basically the symptoms of dementia, um, as, as what the child is seeing. So the memory loss, um, the inability to stay organized or keep an appointment. And then depending on the age of the child, you can go a lot more in depth, um, as far as different types of dementias or where in the brain, the person is affected, Mm -hmm. for example.
1: And I I love those two resources that you gave. I think it's always helpful um, to start out a conversation with a story, with a book, um, someone who has kind of been able to encapsulate their thoughts around this disease um, as a way to open the door to the conversation. So that was Weeds in Nana's Garden is one of them, and the Dementia Diaries was the other one. Now, when we move on from actually reading a book to the kids, and it's now time to open the door to the conversation, you know... Dementia is such a, a uh, an emotion ridden disease. You know, if you are, if you are the parent about to talk to your child about this, you know, maybe you're talking about your mother or your father. And so dementia carries a lot of emotional baggage for adults. And I wonder if you have any strategies for helping us who are leading the conversation in handling our own emotions and not transferring it onto the child.
3: Um, So I will say, I I think it's very, very difficult. Um, I don't know if it's our culture, but, or the lack of kind of the mindfulness practice um, in our culture, but I don't think we often, most of us aren't really paying attention to the stress and the emotions that are coming into us each day and flowing out through us each day. So I think it's really, really important to actually, first of all, acknowledge that you're sad and that you're anxious and that you're scared so that you don't then push that or kind of put that baggage onto the child. Um, But but to allow your child to express their own emotions and then to essentially hold the space Mm -hmm. for the child to express what they're feeling.
2: And I have a good example of this. Um, And from an objective standpoint, had met with a family, it was the daughter, and she was probably eight or nine. And the father, the grandfather lived with them and had dementia. And the mom, when I met the family, the mom was really, was all this concerned about how the daughter was affected and how, what was she going through. And and, and she was really worried. And I got the impression initially that the, the granddaughter was upset. But when I asked the granddaughter directly what, how she was feeling about her grandfather, and she said, I just like to sit in his lap. And she didn't feel those things that her mom was describing. And, and it took a little while, but what we realized was mom was feeling those things. and But the daughter wasn't having that same emotion. So what Corinne is saying is absolutely right. Sometimes we we feel, we anticipate that they're going to feel these things, but it may not be accurate.
3: And we also like to stress to, to a child, um, because children are kind of single-minded and they really internalize things that it's no one's fault it's not it's absolutely not their fault that their loved one has has, has dementia it's not the loved one's fault um, if the loved one is doing and saying things that don't seem nice or that are hurting the child's feelings that it's not their fault that it's part of that it's part of their disease so that's something we've definitely stressed the child
0: I think that's so important to let them know that it's not their fault because that creates so much anxiety for a child and i wonder if you have other tips about talking to kids honestly without creating anxiety
2: for them i think that open-ended question is the best you know let them tell you what they're worried about versus you putting it um and you know i see you're having anxiety about this so you're you're pre defining what you think they have but say how are you feeling let them put the words in there and then go from there um when I was talking to my child um specifically about this again he didn't really have those feelings of sadness or even worry it was just he was very mindful he why don't we just enjoy what's happening right now today and and it was it was very Centering for me to see that he can enjoy them as they are right now, and if something happened and there there was a behavior, I think he would say, "Why did X happen?" and we would deal with it at that point.
3: And then, um, along with that, just kind of like a parenting strategy in general. Um, but I'm not going to lie, I'm not the best at this, even though I try to. (laughs) But that your kids, that kids need like quiet time and space with their parents without screen time Mm -hmm. and kind of without a lot of other um distractors Mm -hmm. kind of like in the evenings after school for example Mm -hmm. sometimes even just to feel like that calmness and that safe space where it's okay for them just to start talking because we all know you know how was school today fine. what you learn? <laughs> Nothing. Can I go?
2: It's so, <laughs> and, and on that note, one thing to add to that, we at part of elder help. We have a music therapist and an art therapist, and especially um, there are kids as well as patients that have dementia and caregivers that don't use words to to define how they feel. So one of the strategies, the art, the guided art therapist had suggested was a daily journal where you just draw, you allow the children to draw and then the dementia patient can draw too. It's, it's your journal together, but you don't have to talk. You can just draw how you're feeling. Um, and the same thing with music and the way to connect. But I love, I love the journals and we've seen some amazing artwork from our dementia patients and using that technique
1: oh, what a powerful tool. I love that idea of um, kind of creating that that daily journal of artwork and involving both the child and the person living with dementia. Um, I think these conversations are kind of a, a delicate balancing act of what you should say to them and what you should not say to them. And do you vary your approach based on your living arrangements? For example, I know some of our listeners maybe are part of a sandwich generation where they're caring for their parents who have dementia and also raising children at the same time versus maybe a, a child whose grandparent lives across the country and they Zoom with them every week and, and see them you know once a year. Would those conversations look different?
3: Yeah, we definitely think... Um, the thing that's going to make it different is whatever relationship that the child has with the loved one
2: living with dementia. I think you have to, you have to encourage the child to find a way to connect. That's the bottom line under any circumstances. What is the connection between that you can help um, the child and the dementia person to have together, no matter if they're living in the home or they're living millions of miles away, maybe you and grandma both it like the same ice cream, or you both listen to the same song, you know, you don't have to have very deep conversations, you can just find the way that they, they can connect with each other. And you can demonstrate that you can show that how to connect your own ways. I mean, that's what we do. Every time we walk into someone's home, we find the way that we can sincerely connect. And, and believe me, dementia patients and children will know if you're faking it. So find something that gives you the relationship.
3: And also, if, if it is a situation where um, the person living with dementia um, is with the kid often enough or able to be with the kid, mm-hmm. actually going to the person and saying, hey, um, how would you feel about being involved? Or how would you feel about telling, um, you know, your grandchild or, or this child, um, that you are suffering with dementia, basically giving that, giving mm. the person living with dementia the opportunity to tell the child themselves, um, we think can be a really powerful thing.
2: Important to note that different stages of dementia. So if you're in the early stage or late stage, that's gonna change that conversation as well, like Karen was saying. That is so empowering. And I think about how you
0: just really are listening to the children and where they are. And then you're allowing to the, the person with dementia to come in and to be involved in if they can, if they're at that point to share with that child what's happening with them. When you think about these situations, how do you deal with behaviors and agitation that might be coming down the road with dementia? I mean, do you talk about them ahead of time or do you wait until it happens? Like someday grandma might not know your name anymore. So do you address what could happen or just what is happening?
2: I feel like, again, that's going to be very unique to your family, but I, I do feel like behaviors in 90% of all patients that are diagnosed with dementia, whatever type, um, towards that moderate to late stage, the behaviors are gonna happen, they're gonna develop. And so I think it's important to, in that situation, once you realize that we're entering into a different stage of the dementia process, if you're, again, find the way to connect. If it's an older child and you can explain, so the brain is changing and these are gonna happen, explain it that way, with younger kids, like my th- my three and four year old, it would be more like they're not they're not going to be able to play cards with you anymore or do puzzles with you, but maybe they can still sing "Jesus Loves Me." You know, you find the way again to make it be on their level and and address it. Um, behaviors are the most traumatizing for any any patient. I feel like living with dementia. It's something that it's become near and dear to my heart because so many people struggle with it. So one thing I've learned to do is what can we do to offset that? And amazingly, um, sensory processing disorder in children, we can borrow those techniques and use those same techniques with patients that are having behaviors um, in dementia because they work similar. Um, so we believe in the fiber optic lamp and we believe in the the um, bubble tubes for calming and we believe in music and we believe in the weighted blankets and the baby dolls or the sensory, the the comfort, the Comfort pillows and children love those things too. In fact, I have a whole bunch of these things at my house. And before we give them to patients, my children are my my favorite things to try them out for to see how they react to them. Um, but those are ways those sensory processing um, methods. Um, the oral vibrating toothbrush. You know, I can never get my kids to brush their teeth, but then I found this toothbrush that you just stick in there and it vibrates, and they're done in forty five seconds. You can use that same toothbrush with with patients with dementia patients because it gives them that oral stimulation and and it's fast and over so in those ways kids can identify and you can help not only lessen the behaviors but you're providing a connection for the child too so again i think it's important for adults think outside the box um or think outside the brain that was my my 11 year old's (laughs) Uh, quote, I'll give it back to him, but he said, you got to think about things differently outside of the brain. So those are one of the things I think that we need to do is, um, you know, look into things that might help the behavior that might help with the behaviors in general, but it also provides a connection, not only for kids, but for you to connect with your loved one. I love
1: that you're taking lessons um, from kids and applying them to adults and and vice versa. Um, you talked earlier, actually, about the way the two of you connected was over this um, health fair at your children's schools and how you just got kind of this overwhelming response from other parents because this your child is not the only one who is caring about someone with dementia. I wonder if you have any strategies that you could share um, beyond that for how to kind of normalize this and help your child realize they're not the only one.
2: Well, when we did the, when we did the human body day with the kids, what we learned was Corinne, actually, she's the organizer, very much organized. I'm more of the scatterbrained person, but what she did was she asked the families to write stories about someone they loved or someone um, that they had met that had dementia. So all the kids brought in these stories and they they're little cards and the the children would draw on them and the parents would write. But what we found was it was overwhelming to see that the parents and the children were looking at the bulletin board where all the stories were together um, and reading the stories. And it gave them a way to connect with their friends at school. Oh, I didn't know your aunt had, had the same thing as, as my grandma or ways like that. And again, what what I found very interesting was they didn't, they don't call it dementia. They don't call it, they just say, oh, your mom forgets or your grandma forgot where to put her kids to or things like that. This the symptoms that they connect with. Um, but we put it out there where all of them got to write the stories and all of them got to draw the pictures and they all got to see that, that. And so I feel like finding someone that your child can identify with, um, another child, uh, support is, is the key is finding a child, somebody on their level that has going through the same experience as them is the way to go. And there are a lot of support groups. And, and again, the books are great because the, the dementia diaries is seven through 15. It's personalized stories of those age groups that are dealing with it. And the younger books, um, Also, again, ways that that younger kids can have a friend that's going through the same thing. So find a friend that and that's the most important thing, I think, for children.
3: Um, And then there's also um, a lot of opportunities online um, Mm -hmm. to seek out um, kind of other kids stories Mm -hmm. um, and just being able to tell looking up um, your kind of local Alzheimer's Association Mm -hmm. and and the statistics and to tell the kids, wow, look at the staggering number of people suffering from Mm -hmm. this, just like your grandmother is. Um, and then in particular, um, the Alzheimer's Society of the UK has a lot of wonderful resources um, from YouTube videos um, mm-hmm. by kids kind of about their own experiences. And then just hundreds of quotes about from other from kids about what they've gone through um, with their own loved ones. These
0: are such great resources. And I, I noticed that you mentioned music a couple times and that how that really helps children to connect with people who are living with dementia. Um, I also heard you talk about finding a space for these conversations. And I know that these conversations aren't just a one time conversation. It's something that we need to provide opportunities for as the child needs to talk about them. So. What are some strategies you have for staying connected with your child about this or or helping them to cope?
3: I think that kind of, um, I mean, it's a bigger picture of just being available to your child in general for anything they're struggling with. And um, kind of what I've read, obviously, like we all have really busy lives, but to really, really try and have that time kind of after dinner where everyone just, sits around there's no TVs on there's no radios on and it's kind of quiet playtime it's you can read books you can build Legos but you're just all there together and even if you're all doing your own thing that gives the children that feeling that quiet space where they can then just start to talk and I think Mm -hmm. it actually works I think kids just need that quiet um, kind of time without distractions to just open up.
2: And I think making it not taboo, um, you know, and I grew up in the South and we we were of the belief that if you don't talk about it, it didn't exist. <laughs> so, but I think then that made it hard to ask questions uh, growing up. But what I've seen, as long as I'm talking about it open and honestly, then my kids will join in. And that means a daily conversation, every other day conversation, you know, because I've seen, you know, this has been my career again, since my kids were born and it's not, it's definitely not taboo to them. They don't, It's not even noticed because we have this conversation all the time. So I think making it where, again, taking that your own baggage, your own fears away and just letting there be space to talk about it on a regular basis.
1: Such a great idea of just that kind of holding space for the conversation. And I like quiet time after dinner too. (laughs) So (laughs) a great opportunity to, to connect with your children. Now, it, throughout the conversation today, you've mentioned a few different resources, and I wonder if you could share them with us again. You had a couple books and a, a website and any others that may be helpful to parents who are looking towards having a conversation about this.
3: So we really like, um, there's been a lot of work um, out of the UK just about this exact topic, how mm-hmm. to address this with dementia. So if you go to um, the Alzheimer's Society um organization out of the uk online you'll find extensive resources about how to talk to kids depending on their different ages you'll find extensive videos
2: activities um, they have lots of activities yeah, i love those ideas, mm-hmm.
3: which we can go through a few of those activity ideas too straight from that website mm-hmm. um, which are looking through old photos mm-hmm. with the person things the kids can do with their loved one mm-hmm. art mm-hmm. making scrapbooks mm-hmm. listening to music singing
2: just being there and you know how kids love old stories like my you know my granddad had a whole can of Folgers can full of wheat pennies and my my I loved them as a child and I my kids love them you know so I'd bring out those old artifacts and and let the let the grandparents tell the stories I mean what better way to connect and can't say enough about music. I mean, it's, it's been so impactful and seeing the changes that that has made, um, with, with in patients with dementia, but as a way to connect as well, because every, I mean, what do kids love to do, especially young kids? I mean, it's all, they're always singing and dancing and surprisingly people with dementia love to sing and dance as well.
3: And we mentioned a couple books earlier, um, the dementia diaries, Mm -hmm. the weeds in Nana's garden. Um, and we've also compiled um, these resources and others on our website, which is elderhealthathome.com.
2: And we're really excited because you guys inspired us um, when we were doing our research for this podcast to uh, sit down with our own kids and do the video because we realized there's not a lot of, of resources as far as in America goes that you've showed Examples of, and guess what? My kids love YouTube. They think that's the coolest thing on earth. So that's another. We're going to put the with our four year olds. We're gonna, their conversation in their book on the kids YouTube. So that way the kids can see it themselves and click on the video.
1: What a great idea and another um, fantastic resource for our listeners to look forward to. Um, Corinne and Melissa, before we close today, I wonder if you could give us your final thought when it comes to having a conversation about dementia with kids.
3: My final thoughts would just be, if if it seems like there's an obvious distress or there's obvious thing, obvious changes that the kids going to notice, you definitely definitely try to have the conversation because not having the conversation, I think will just only make things worse. The kid will feel alone. The kid won't know who to talk to. The kid might think that it's their fault. So I think in any attempt you can to have the conversation and then not to underestimate the child, that the ch- children are so much smarter than we give them credit for. And then again, just explain to the kids that it's not their fault and it's not their loved one's fault either, um, but it's a disease that sucks. And,
2: and I, my final thought would be try and look at this in a different perspective. It, it's not all gloom and doom. There are going to be those moments of connection between the patient with dementia and your children that you will treasure forever. I mean, uh, my kids, My, my children have done things with different patients or people that have been in my life and the memories from that, those moments, it may, it may not have been all day. It may have been a smile or a hug or one puzzle, but they'll, they're going to remember that forever. So those connections are so important and you can have joy. This is not necessarily a bad thing. This is, you can find moments of wonder. Um, So look for the, look for the positive moments and live there when you can.
1: An important reminder, today our conversation has been with Dr. Corinne Self and Melissa Kuhn, both with Elder Health. We appreciate you both joining us today and helping us untangle um, talking to kids about dementia. Oh, thank you guys so much for asking us to come on.
3: Yeah, we're huge fans of the podcast. Thank you so much for what you do.
0: Thank you both, Corinne and Melissa. It's been wonderful. And I loved how we wrapped up today by focusing on those moments of wonder and finding joy in the journey, and especially when it comes to talking to kids about dementia. So thank you both, and thank you, Heather, for another fantastic conversation. And of course, we want to thank you, our incredible listeners, for joining us today. Thank you, Amber, behind the scenes. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation on Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dementia Untangled. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts,
1: Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dementia Untangled is hosted by Heather Mulder and Janice Greeno, produced and edited by Amber Ayers, and is brought to you by Banner Alzheimer's Institute and Banner Sun Health Research Institute. We are supported by generous donations to the Banner Alzheimer's Foundation please visit our website at
0: banneralz.org and follow us on Facebook to learn about upcoming events. If you have questions or comments, please email us at dementiauntangled@bannerhealth.com.